Today, it's Vigilante Day. What would it take before you took the law into your own hands? And then we travel to Glasgow, Scotland to take a look at a group of vigilantes who armed themselves to hunt down a child-killing monster. But these vigilantes were children themselves. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. It's Vigilante Day. I just came up with that. I didn't plan on it. Just both stories that I picked, I was like, oh, they both involve vigilantes. So here we go. It's Vigilante Day. I think everybody loves a good vigilante story. First off, let's give a shout out to a legacy Patreon, a longtime supporter of the show, Matthew McKenzie. Matthew, thank you so much for supporting the show. We're handing you over the keys of the Carpenter Copter. You're going to be flying us around. You're going to be doing stunts, whoop-de-loops, whatever that is. We're going to be doing some stuff like that. You can't support the Patreon. That's fine, too. Just help get the word out about the show. That really, really helps a lot. We also have a merch store if you want to buy some merch. Because I always sleep on the merch. Not literally, but I do have a dope Dead Rabbit shirt. So if you guys want some Dead Rabbit merch, we got that as well. Matthew, let's go. Oh, oh, and let me say this too. If you'll notice new Matthew, Matthew got all excited. No, 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 slow down. Not getting the copter yet. You'll notice there's new episode art for this episode. This is from Robert Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. You remember that name. You remember that name. Robert Paulson created this. Robert Paulson actually made this as a flyer. So there's QR codes. One takes you to the website. One takes you to the Patreon. That's awesome. I really, really love it. We're gonna put it up. We're gonna put it in our flyer download on our website. You can download flyers and that's another great way to get the word out about the show. Print out flyers, hang them up around your town. That really helps a lot. That's joining our flyer army, and it might appear every once in a while in our episode artwork. I have to see how it looks as a little iTunes, but I, I like it. I like it a lot. So thank you, Robert Paulson. Your sacrifice was not in vain. Now, Matthew McKenzie the whole time is like, it's time to fly, it's time to fly. It's time to fly now. Let's go ahead, hop in that carpenter copter. We are headed out to Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) We're not in the helicopter yet. That's just Matthew making those noises with his mouth. It's May 16th, 2020. Now we're in the carpenter copter. So this just happened a couple weeks ago. We're headed out to Omaha, Nebraska. All the houses, all the houses were made by the first little pig made out of corn husks. And there we're going to meet a man named James Fairbanks. He's 43 years old, father, recently divorced. He's looking for a new place to stay. He's looking in the area, he's drinking a cup of coffee. Look, 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 look. No one drinks coffee like that. He's drinking, he's drinking some coffee. And he gets a little bug in his brain. And he goes, hmm, I'm going to check the Megan's Law database in this area. I'm going to take a look here and see what's going on. Now, if you don't know what Megan's Law database is, because I know a lot of people in other countries listen to the show. In America, they have this thing. In most states, most counties, then, you can put in your zip code and it'll tell you who all the registered sexual offenders are in your area. And he pulls that up and he sees a name, Matteo Condolucci, 64-year-old dude. He's looking at it and it'll usually show the charges, two counts of rape against children. Ugh. He begins doing research on this guy. He finds a trail of victims. He had been convicted of two counts of rape against children. Served two years in prison. There was two separate incidents. It was like, he did it, he got busted, he did it again, he got busted. Only two years total in prison. But there was many more than just two victims 
Those are just the two that I was actually held accountable for. One of the kids that he abused, when that child grew up, a little boy grew up, got addicted to drugs, died of an overdose. The child's mother had a Facebook page saying, somebody needs to stop this guy. He's hurting children. He killed my child. He killed my child. He ruined my child's life. My child got into drugs. James, an otherwise normal man, all of a sudden is having a terrible, terrible day. But nothing compared to what the children went through. But he feels something in him go. Something has to happen here. He sees this and he is so enraged, he drives to Mateo's house. He sees Mateo washing his car. Washing it, soaping it down. Spraying it with water. And James is watching this in the middle of the day, and he realizes very, very quickly, Mateo is not washing his car. He's watching a group of kids play across the street. And James is just gripping that wheel right there. And when the kids go inside, Mateo, his car is magically clean now. What great timing. Mateo goes inside as well. And James creeps over and peeks over the fence and notices that Mateo's backyard is pretty open, and it has little playground equipment. If the children of the neighborhood want to come over, they can just walk into his backyard. On May 16th, 2020, the police go to Mateo Condolucci's house. They find him dead. There seems to be no reason that they think it's a murder. 64-year-old man, dead in his house. I don't see any proof that they actually opened a homicide investigation at that time, to be honest. Knowing this guy's reputation, they probably didn't care. But two days later, on May 18th, an email sent from the account Stop Predators was sent to local media and to a Facebook page called the Omaha Scanner, which dealt with like local issues, local law enforcement. And this email was titled, I Killed Mateo Condolucci, Thursday, May 14th. It goes into, and it's basically James's confession. He doesn't state his name in the email, but he tells him what he did. The email ends with him giving a detail. It's blanked out of the actual email. It's a detail that only the murderer would know. In the email, we have this quote. I've worked with kids for years who have been victimized, and I couldn't in good conscience allow him to do it to anyone else while I had the means to stop him. I'm willing to turn myself in, even though I'm confident I wouldn't be caught, because it's my opinion that we need to fix this in our society. We cannot let this continue to happen to our children. They must be stopped. I know in this messed up judicial system, that means I will face far more severe punishment for stopping him than he did for raping kids. But I can no longer do nothing. He probably could have gotten away with it. Again, we do, I don't know how what the cause of death with, was, but it didn't look like the police were looking into him. He does get arrested for it, and he gets charged with first-degree murder because it's 100% premeditated. A petition starts at the time as I was researching the story, which is about a week and a half ago. It had 15,000 signatures. When, he, when James walks into jail, the convicts stood up. Walking through the jail. The other dudes, all the other prisoners are clapping for him. Condolucci's own daughter supports James being released from jail. Amanda Henry had this amazing quote about this. 
It's a horrible thing that he chose to be the one to give up everybody he loved just to try to protect children that aren't even his. So yeah, a true sacrifice, a hero. A hero. I'm not, you know, it's it's a tough story because I'm not a huge fan of murder. I mean, I don't know many people who are. They have a little penance. This is his murder. This guy just kept beating the system, though. Like, at a certain point, like, you just get fed up. You just get fed up, and you're just watching this guy over and over and over again beat the system. And in a perfect world, he would have not gotten out of prison, right? In a perfect world, James wouldn't have had to make this sacrifice. And hopefully, this is all taken into account, and, and a jury finds him... Guilty of a lesser crime. Because he is guilty. He did commit the crime. He's not denying that. But hopefully he doesn't get a life sentence or a super long sentence. or th- I'd much rather live in a community where you have people like James Fairbanks than live in a community with people like Mateo. And I think that's pretty much how everyone would choose to live. It's unfortunate that James made had to make that decision. But, yeah. So, anyways, a bit of a, bit of a downer story. Let's go ahead and hop back in that carpenter copter. Matthew, we're going to go up, up, and away. We're leaving behind local superhero. I don't know. Again, he he did murder a guy, right? Like, I think that's the, the big thing. That we would prefer our heroes not have to murder people. But, okay, so anyways, really everything becomes morally gray. The whole landscape becomes morally gray as we're leaving behind Omaha, Nebraska. We are headed out to Glasgow, Scotland. This story was recommended by Emperor Ezekiel. So thank you so much for recommending this story. That really, really helps out. It's a really cool one. Matthew, you're flying that carpenter copter. And as we're flying towards Glasgow, we see an old steelworks. Flame shooting up into the sky. Smoke. Belching up. It looks like that bad guy's headquarters from Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. For the three people who remember that show, helicopters flying in between the giant steam stacks. I should get a job as a Foley artist. We're in the year 1954. It's September 23rd. We're going to land a little bit away from a little elementary school. And these kids are talking excitedly about something... That's going on. Did you see? Did you see what happened? I didn't see it, Governor. But with my peepers, I saw her tell somebody it. (laughs) What does that even mean, you weirdo? The kids are talking excitedly at school. Did you see it? Did you see it? Ah, yes, matey. I saw it. He was seven feet tall, he was. With teeth made of iron, he was. My one-man show of A Christmas Carol, coming soon. And the kids are like, that's spooky, that's super spooky, right? Too spooky. The kids were talking about a creature that was spotted at the southern necropolis. A long time ago, back in 1849, there was apparently there was just a bunch of people dying in Scotland. They needed an affordable cemetery. So they built this thing called the Southern Necropolis. Now it's affordable. To the point where there's 250,000 bodies buried in this place. I don't even know how that's possible. I don't think I've ever seen that many people in one location ever. Let alone buried on top of each other. But you have this graveyard. It's called the Southern Necropolis. And then right next to it is a steelworks. So that's where you have the the smoke. Shooting up into the sky. Flames. 
CGI robots flying around it, trying to destroy the soldiers of the future. The kids were adamant. They saw a vampire there. Seven-foot-tall vampire with steel teeth. But it wasn't just that there was a monster in the community. That's spooky enough. This vampire was responsible for eating two children. Flames shooting up. Dark black smoke. Vampire. Eating children. There's a very, very horrible, horrifying image for anyone. Horrifying image for anyone, but for kids especially. I mean, actually, no, back that up. It's horrifying for anyone. No one's like, ah, oh, it's quite quaint. It's like the Monster Squad, but more violent. The kids decide to hunt the vampire themselves. Now, what's interesting is that this story was in all the local schools. It wasn't confined to one school. So at 3 p.m., when all the schools got out, you had hundreds of kids descend upon the cemetery, armed with knives, bats, crucifixes. A couple kids brought their dogs. (laughs) Sound effects are on point in this episode, aren't they? (laughs) Drool. (laughs) Coming out of the dog's mouth, an eagle. (laughs) Turned into a crow and started flying around. And then there was a, a garbage truck backing up. Beep. Beep, beep. All the sound effects. Auga. A wolf saw a sexy wolf walk by. Now, the hundreds of kids in a cemetery is bad enough. Basically, that you're just asking for trouble. Hundreds of armed kids in a cemetery. Hundreds of kids in general in any, any location is bad. Because you're going to have to have, like, you're going to have chaos. But now they're walking around with knives, bats, crucifixes. I get bringing a crucifix to hunt a vampire. But, dude, you're better off just bringing two knives and making a cross at the last minute. Because when it comes down to it, I don't know if that's really going to work. All the crucifix is going to do is make it so the vampire doesn't attack you. You hold up the crucifix, it goes, (sighs) and then sees the kid standing next to you, eats him. Now, you had hundreds of kids descend from all these different schools. People in the area were obviously calling the police, being like, oh, you better get down here. There's a bunch of kids with knives, and they're right next to this factory, and they're chasing something around the graveyard. We don't know what it is. We're too scared of the graveyard to go check it out. The police show up. The kids will not listen to the police. They won't do it. The police are like, get out of here, you scamps. And they're like, no, we won't go. We won't go. Gotta kill a vampire who ate two of our buddies. It's not really good for a chance, but they're trying. They're just kids. They said the oldest of the kids were 14. Some of them were like six. Which the idea of a a six-year-old carrying around a butcher knife is quite adorable. But anyway, so that's all going on. Police are, they can't round up all these kids. They're completely outnumbered. The kids are armed. So the police go to the next authority they can think of. They get the principal, local principal, to come out there and be like, Get back! Go! Go home! The kids still are saying, no, there's a vampire here. He ate two kids. We have to kill this guy. And of course, the adults don't believe in vampires. Go home. The kids remained there. The cops couldn't get him out. The principal couldn't get him out. It wasn't until it started raining that the kids finally go, uh, it's, it's a little moist. It's a little damp out here. Aren't you a little cold? I, I didn't, I was, didn't wear, I was wearing my Monster Hunter tank top. I didn't wear my Monster Hunter hoodie. Uh, so the kids slowly filter out of the graveyard, and eventually the cops are able to round up the few stragglers. But the kids still know there's a vampire out there. They come back the next day and the day after that, but less numbers each time. Now, while they're at the graveyard, the kids keep saying, I saw the vampire, I saw the vampire. And the adults are like, it's the trick of the light. 
It was that other kid with the knife running, looking for a vampire. You saw him. It was the flames exploding out of the tops of those stacks, casting long shadows. There are no such things as vampires. And what's funny is, as these things often are, this became huge news. The First off, the parents went to the cops and were like, there's no, 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 va- vampires, right? And the cops were like, are you scared of vampires too? And the parents were like, listen, okay, I might be a little scared of vampires. My first question is, are there any missing kids? And the police go, there are no local missing kids. We are, All kids are accounted for in Glasgow. There are no missing kids. There's no murdered kids. So what these kids are talking about did not happen. And so then now the parents could sleep with their lights off again. They go, Something has to be done about this. And this story became a national story in Scotland. It was actually used to pass legislation against comic books. People were ba- blaming Chamber of Horrors and Tales from the Crypt and all these comic books for causing... Like, look at what comic books are doing to the youth. They're making them go crazy. They're making them run around graveyards with knives. They shouldn't be doing that until they're at least 19. So this incident was used to censor comic books. And there was a big push for that back in the 60s and things like that. Here's an interesting, and that's really where the story ends, factually. But let's take a look at some interesting details with this thing. There were no missing kids in Glasgow, Scotland, in this time period. But who's to say that the kids weren't from out of town? And you go, Jason, you're really grasping at straws. No, hold on, hold on. Vampires are nomadic. And the story wasn't that that two kids had been eaten that were locals. It was that kids had seen two children be devoured by a vampire. The story wasn't, I know who got eaten by the vampire. It was little Sally and little Billy. It was that a vampire at the graveyard was eating children. It's possible that this... Cre- and again, we're putting on our, our cryptid caps here. So we're, we're going to be in the realm that this m- might be possible. It could be that this creature was eating corpses of children. I th- you're like, Jason, that's... I'm taking off my cryptic cat and throwing it on the ground. That's disgusting. You did not prepare me for that in any way, shape, or form. Sorry about that. It could be, put your cap back up, put it on. It could be that this thing that a local kid was watching this monster eat the corpses of children. It could be that these children were from out of town, that they came with the vampire, they were captive. What I find interesting about the story is two main details. First off, Yes, rumors, mass hysteria, they spread very quickly. But in 1954, when you didn't have cell phones or social media or instant messaging, how did it go? Because at all the schools in the area, they were talking about it all day long. By the time 3 p.m. rolled around, you had kids from all the different schools showing up. The rumor started that morning. How did it spread to all the other schools so quickly? Here's my theory. If you had a group of kids who went to different who lived in the same neighborhood but went to different schools, different grade levels, and they saw this action happen, they would tell their respective schools. The rumor exploded in that day. So if it was at one school, let's say someone made it up is what, I, what I'm going. Let's say someone went to Strawberry Point Elementary School and they go and they make it up. You would have all the kids from that school go, but the fact that you had other schools in the area also descend makes me think there were multiple points of this rumor starting. Again, today, that wouldn't be weird at all because the person in school A would be messaging the people in schools B, C, and D. But back then, you would have to have, if it was completely made up, you would have to have it the same myth made up in each school on the same day. So we have that. We have it. If it's completely made up, we have multiple origins of the same myth. 
If it was made up, you, you would have different versions of it at each school, still culminating in a 3 p.m. meetup. But they were all there to meet up a vampire who had eaten two kids. Creature had iron teeth. So that's an interesting detail. There's an old story, like an old rhyme in that area about a creature. It's like a boogeyman version has iron teeth. I think that's where that comes from. But again, that legend, the story of the boogeyman with iron teeth in Glasgow, Scotland is old. So why would on that day it become a big story? Unless that morning, most likely that morning, there was activity seen that made them believe that was real. Even on the day before, on the way home from school, they may have seen it. But you don't have that mass communication like we have today. So that's an interesting detail. It's not a deal breaker, but it's an interesting detail. But there's one other interesting detail. Cops, the kids are adamant that there's the creature there. So let's assume that they did see something eating kids, and the myth was the same. That's why you would have multiple ignition points at other schools, because it's the same. It's a true story. If it was fake, you would have that game of telephone where it would morph each time. You'd have a group of kids from one school going to fight an alien, a group of kids from another school going to fight Loch Ness. We have the same story being told across multiple schools on the same day, building to a critical mass. They have the vampire cornered. Vampires hunt single individuals, but especially if they're preying on children, and we're not talking about the toughest of the tough vampires, when you have hundreds of children descend armed to the teeth, no pun intended, to kill you, where are you going to go? Police show up, you're like, oh, thank God law enforcement's here. Because these kids are going to find me. They're going to kill me. The kids won't leave. Principal shows up. Oh, man, finally. Can I finally get out of here? I'm, I'm barely hiding. I'm, it was got me like three or four times if they'd look over here. And so here's the thing. So they're hunting the vampire. They have him cornered. They keep seeing him move in the shadows. Police can't get him to budge. Principal can't get him to budge. It starts raining. The kids go home. As I read that, I thought, you know what? I'm going to bet money. I'm going to bet Money that I am right on my hunch. I looked it up. I owe myself money. One of the most obscure powers a vampire has is the ability to control the weather. It was one of Dracula's original powers. You're able to create fog, mist, or storms. The perfect cover for a vampire, right? The vampire would never have expected hundreds of kids to show up out of the blue. Corner him. Possibly kill him. Even though he's seven feet tall, hundreds of anything can quickly overpower you. When the police show up and don't disperse the kids, the vampire begins to panic. When the principal shows up and the kids still stay, the vampire believes that it may be time to pull out his trump card. It causes it to rain. The kids file out of the graveyard one by one. The kids would return the next two days. They wouldn't find the vampire. The vampire had moved on by then. Lucky that he had gotten away from such a large mob. It had been a century since that many people had tried hunting him at once. Nowadays, the vampire is a fairy tale, a legend, that only children believe. So as he leaves behind the southern necropolis, he's on the hunt once again for his next meal. Monsters like the Glasgow Vampire kind of remind us what it's like to be a kid. When everything was scary, when monsters were real, and more importantly, where we could take a stand against the darkness. But as we get older, we realize that stories like the Glasgow Vampire most likely aren't real. It'd be nice if they were not the child-eating thing, but it would be nice if the world was the forces of good versus the forces of monsters. But that's the world's far more complicated than that. Because in the real world, we have James and we have uh, Matteo. And James is, by all accounts, uh, is a hero, sure. 
but he should have never had to step up to that plate. The, the, the justice system should have taken care of that monster. The justice system should have put a stake through that vampire's heart. So the monsters aren't as clear in the real world. Because even though we can identify that that is a sick man, he does sick things, we, as a society, can't seem to agree on, on how to take care of that monster. If the evil of the world was really seven feet tall with steel teeth who hung out in graveyards, we would all be in agreement on how to deal with it. It would be nice if the world was divided up between humans and the forces of darkness. But that's just a fairy tale. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.